Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Welcome to another episode of East Meets West here on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat podcast feed. I am one of your hosts today, Scott McLeod. I recently took a sabbatical from Saturday Draft Live so I could concentrate on other ventures and keep my mind clear, such as diving into the wacky world of New Japan. Uh, although this is not the best, best episode to start off with, as later on we're going to talk about a decision made by New Japan that absolutely infuriated me. I don't mind telling you that. But, you know, that all that in good. And joining me, as always, to talk about all the decisions made by New Japan, both good and the bad, is Grant McRobbie. Hello, Grant. Hi there, Scott. And, yep, we've we've got some controversial topics to talk about later in the show, to say the least. Yeah, obviously, it's been quite a while since I haven't, but not long after our last episode, obviously, the IWGP World Heavyweight title was unveiled. Uh, design caused some let's say mixed uh, reviews online uh, given the design of it. I think me and Grant have talked all about that on an episode of East Essential from a few weeks ago so I think if you want our thoughts on how the belt looks you can go to that but you know, I think hopefully I think it's had some time to grow on people I still think it looks a bit, I'm still getting used to the design of the belt uh, I think it's weird that the champions keep holding it on their like, shoulder and everything I want to see how it looks around the waist Everything, but you know, I think over time I'll get used to the the smaller design. It's a wee bit. It's a it, it's it is a bit wee looking, but as you said, it's it's not been worn around anyone's waist, and that is still bugging me as well. <laughs> Come on, it's a belt, no a shoulder yeah. strap. <laughs> I know, like Vince in the old days, you said not a belt, a belt for keeping your pants up and everything. Uh, you know, so it's a championship cummerbund. Uh, they don't think give a reason why Abushi never wore it around his, his waist, but we'll get into that when we talk about the Secure Genesis uh, match. But before Secure Genesis, we want to talk about everything going on, not in Japan, but in the US, regarding uh, New Japan. With New Japan Strong, uh, decided to unveil the New Japan Cup USA. And we had, as in our last episode, the, uh, the qualifying matches were happening. We had six of the eight already involved. And we were kind of like thug or not a thug, but certain about how the qualifying matches, the last two were going to go, like predictably, like Christian lost to Chris Dickinson. But I don't think either of us were expecting Clark Connors to beat TJP. No, did not call that at all. I thought, nah, he's only just graduated, but he's going to take a loss here. Wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he didn't last long in the tournament itself. I think the fact they put him in it was enough of a statement and because he also won Lions Break Crown he got a path into the Super J Cup he did lose the first round there as well I think the fact that they're letting him mix up with these like type of stars that are competing in this tournament and he, he got a really good match uh, with Leo Rush in the tournament so it clearly means they've got big plans for him and 
you know, they had, uh, I think it's a similar thing with him, what they did with Carl Frederick last year. They put him in the first round of the New Japan Cup USA, and even though he went out to, uh, to Kent in the first round, it was still good to see him, like, see these, like, young up-and-comers mixed up with the established stars. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's, it's, it has become a kind of trademark thing that as soon as someone graduates as a young lion from the kind of LA system, they get some sort of tournament showing, often going out in the first round, but more competitive looking than what they do in their young lions. Mm-hmm. And unlike last year where we had Kenta winning, earning a US title shot and waiting forever to uh, to get that title shot, ultimately coming up short, we just, they just, New Japan revealed not only would they get the same kind of, kind of smaller like cup uh, that the winner would get, they would also become the first ever New Japan strong open weight champion. New Japan strong getting its own specific title though to be defended, obviously because they know the end at the moment, especially with John Moxley champion, they can have the US champion on every show. I assume the US title will still be a big feature when they start running shows for fans in the US again. But it is nice to. Uh, Makes New Japan strong a bit more interesting. Guys have something they can fight for. Uh, I don't know about you, Grant. Even though the New Japan, the IWGP World Heavyweight Title is still kind of growing on me as a design, I still prefer the the look of this strong title. I know some other people may not, but I like the look of it. You know, it's got the silver plates on it. Uh, the open weight thing on it makes it more interesting because we've got a lot of juniors on strong. We've got a mix of heavyweights as well. I can fight for it. And also the uh, design, the outline of the strap and the design kind of reminds me of the original Intercontinental title in terms of its design, not in terms of colour, because the original IWGP Intercontinental title was a, was a bronze plate, but kind of the design and the shape of the, the strap kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, actually, it really quite impressed me. Uh, like The first glimpse at it, I was like, well, it's quite circular, but then I got a kind of better look at it, and I was like, actually, that's quite a nice shape. Um, it looks proper. And I, I, they're they're playing the strong suit by not making it any particular weight, and they're monopolising the fact that the US roster isn't as big as the main Japan roster. Having it open to everyone is going to make a lot more interesting matches, I think. Because even though like you have the open weight belts and Japan with the never title, you still get a very similar like style of wrestler uh, competing for that belt. Because like you got like of Shingo or Desperado are kind of smaller than your. Average like heavyweight, uh, Brad still technically a junior, and you've got like guys like Suzuki, Ishii, even Jeff Goldstein, so forth. All these guys just focus on a similar style of like hard hitting. You know, uh, the BMF title is what Rocky Romero is referred to as because some of the toughest guys who challenge for it. But in the US, like you've got these guys who've got this thing itself, it's a mix of styles that are coming through New Japan's like US system. And I think it's a very exciting prospect to see this new title. I thought we were going to sort the problem with New Japan having too many belts when they got rid of uh, the Air title when it was merged and unified with the world title. I thought, no, nah, we need we need a certain number of belts. Let's replace it with a brand new one. It felt weird. It's like, we'll get rid of one, we'll bring in another. But at the same time, because they're not very clear as to what their end game is with the US belt, They've made it very clear that this is the strong title, so I don't expect to see it anywhere other than New Japan Strong. Keeping it exclusive mm-hmm. to that show, I think, will work in their favour. Yeah, whereas the US belt can kind of go between. And before we talk about the tournament matches, we'll talk about John Moxley, the US champion, who had this video on New Japan's social media, which I don't think they've had much of a follow-up to this challenge, where Moxley said he was going to 
call out Eugene Nagata to step up and challenge him for the US title and that is a matchup that I wouldn't have expected but I look forward to seeing you know because Moxley had a hell of a match with Suzuki in his last defence before the world I as of yet we've got a response from Nagata at time recording it's, it's been I, I, Nagata did put a response but it's one of those things they didn't really well advertise the response and he, he just pretty much goes alright then I'm going to batter you you wee shit <laughs> Nagata is <laughs> like this it was, it was a very left field I, 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 could, I would not have called that Moxley was going to go for Nagata but I like the fact that Moxley seems to be going for the old school legends I wouldn't be surprised if he goes through Nagata Perhaps goes for Tenzan on the back of it. Um, Kojima, it's it's something that like their styles could actually work really well together because Moxley is quite all over the place and Nagata is just a solid all rounder. Like he's got a strong game and everything, really. Yeah, it'd be nice to see like Nagata back in a featured like spot again. Like big thing we've seen him do was like Fuzuki back in uh, last summer, whereas. He mostly gets brought out for like matches the team with, you know, like, as part of a group of legends or to face young lions on the show. So it's nice to see him in a feature spot when he can, you know, he got that match with Sonada recently, even though that wasn't meant to happen. It was kind of a last minute change. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I wouldn't be surprised if they hold it off for, say, Wrestling Grand Slam, one of those two shows. Aye, if, if when, when this match happens, I reckon they're going to put it in a, in a big place and it gives plenty of time to prepare travel, quarantine, uh, work around Moxley's AEW schedule. So I, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if we get it at the, the Grand Slam. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a Tokyo Dome event for that one. Yeah, maybe make up with the fact that us play it. Tokyo Dome, we didn't get a US title match. We got a US right to challenge in a match. And yeah, I think they also hold off on a, a couple of shows until then to get it because obviously I'm pretty sure Renee is due to have the, the kids and so Mazda won't want to leave to go quarantine in Japan by himself uh, away from his newborn and his wife like, for, like so soon after they, they sell the born so yeah, it's something they'll get to plan like in advance when they're actually going to do hopefully we'll have more confirmation about when it's going to happen sometime around uh, Dontaku but the actual matches of the New Japan Cup USA uh, some interesting matchups we got, as I mentioned, Clark Connors faced Leo Rush and gave it a hell of an effort, but Leo Rush ultimately came out on top. Uh, Alex Goslow made the point of like if the match would be close to over if Connors can get his, his spear, and he did, but he wasn't able to immediately capitalise on it. And then they've been big enough how good his uh, Boston Crab is, but also he wasn't able to fully lock it in on Leo Rush, which helped keep actually corners protected, which you wouldn't expect from a guy who's still technically in that young line system. But I remember going to the one that I think was more open than all the others. It was a little hard to predict because either one of them could have went to the final was the uh, the last match, the match that main evented the episode of the quarterfinals, uh, Chris Dickinson versus Brody King because both very evenly matched up. The two guys are just going to go in there and beat the fuck out of each other. Hi, this this was kind of like the the two big meaty men slamming me, and <laughs> it's the only way to describe it really. Like it was, it was. I think I think we called this the last time we talked about this, and it was whoever wins this match is going to be in the finals. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we called it that way. 
Yeah, we did because uh, King would is in uh, the it did come out on top here and is in the finals, but it did look like he barely was able to put uh, Dickinson away after he hit the lariat and managed to to cover him because Tom Muller is the man who's on the other side of the bracket who ended up in the finals, which I, I felt you could have put it did early on because uh, he was definitely a favourite. And I felt like it could have been like, either way because I remember going into I predicted King versus Lawler in the final, which is what we're getting uh, this Friday. Also, you'll hear the after phase, so you'll already know who the first ever champion is. But at the same record, I thought they could have easily had Dickinson versus Lawler in the final because they were talking about Dickinson technically being part of uh, Team Filthy, but kind of being at odds with Tom Lawler uh, over Lawler basically humiliating. Uh, or basically berating uh, Dickinson for losing to like the Ren Narita who uh, Tom Waller faced in the first round, but it took him longer than he probably thought to beat him. Narita actually impressed me in his match, you know, when many minutes with Waller was very map-based, and Waller looked pissed off that it took him that long. He immediately started yelling at the referee to stop checking on Narita and like, raise his hand. So it's nice going into a clear guy coming in who you even Kevin Kelly's putting over how despicable he is so there was your immediate guy to kind of root against kind of how Kenta was in last year's New Japan Cup USA Aye they've done a really good job Narita is looking absolutely outstanding in the US these days and I'm, I'm actually buzzing for the point when he finally graduates from Young Lions status and comes back into the main roster because he was one of my favourite Young Lions back in the day mm-hmm. With the uh, Lawler I was actually surprised about one match in the first one, which I thought was kind of more predictable than it was. Fred Rosser v Hikaleo. I, I figured Rosser was going to go through and face Lawler in the, the semis, but Hikaleo ended up, after a very dominating performance, like he had a bit of a brawl around the ring before the match even started. And uh, apart from a few like brief comebacks, you know, Fred Rosser, it was mostly one-sided in favour of Hikaleo. And talking about it, they, they mentioned on commentary that Hikaleo had lost once before to Fred Rosso, he was only real lost since he came back. So he was looking to avenge that. I was surprised actually that Hikaleo won and went on to face Tom Lawler because that's technically kind of a heel v heel kind of match. Ah, it was it was definitely something a bit different. Like um, Hikaleo's, it, it's I don't even know where he fits into this whole young line system anymore. If he's graduated or what they're doing with him, but I like it when he does appear in on strong. He does usually put in a good showing. But, yeah, I, I honestly thought Rosser was the surefire when mm. when I saw the bracket. So, already they've, they've thrown a couple of surprises my way in regards to where things were going. And I felt that like it set up some fantastic... The two semi-final matches were... I really enjoyed them, despite how short they were. Yeah, really. So, I mean, that has been a thing with New Japan Strong. They don't always... They don't go overly long on the matches. I think the longest one of the longest matches across the tournament so far has been around the 12-minute mark, which gives you an idea of uh, how long some of these are going. So, like, Hikaleo, I think he's technically they're saying that he, that he is, uh, like, graduated because he had his graduate in the UK, but then he came back quite early because of the pandemic, and they've given him a new kind of, like, gimmick. I think the young gun, they were calling him, and he has got quite a few wins as part of the look club, so I think he's meant to technically have graduated early, even though I think when you watch some of his first matches when he came, when he came back to Strong, uh, it did seem like he needed a bit more work. Like, especially because I wasn't really sure about that finisher they gave him. But then, like, Tom Moore, I think, was easily able to like, outsmart him. Like, he had him walking the figure four on the outside, trying to get the count out win. 
and he had that perfect moment of uh, Hikaleo being in the right breaking the count, but still locked in the ankle lock. And then shortly after, Lawler, as Hikaleo's getting the ring, Lawler grabs a small package and Lawler manages to sneak out the win and advance to the final. So, you know, some smart, a smart kind of tactics from Tom Lawler there. And the match of Brody King v Leo Rush, I think, is a real standout. And I think it exemplifies kind of the open weight kind of style we're going to expect to see with this new title. Yeah, I, I loved, like, even before this match was on, I loved the uh, little, a little tiny hype video on Twitter, and it's quite funny because it's just Leo Rush literally walking up to Brody King and slapping his phone out his hand as if to say, win them, big man. Let's fucking do this. <laughs> It was it, it was it was like an outstanding. I mean, it only went like the official time seven minutes thirty eight seconds, but they accomplished so much in that. It showed that you don't need a long match to to make an impact. And Leo Rush has definitely made an impact in Japan, even if his win loss record isn't the best at this time. Yeah, because I remember when he came in uh, for the Super Jacob, we were talking about him as a favourite, the and then they announced him as being against El Fantasma in the first round. You were like, whoever wins this match could win the tournament, and Sure enough, Fantasmo won that match and then won the tournament. So, yeah, little by little, he's getting a more of a prominent status in the on New Japan Strong. And I think he'll be a bigger part of the junior division once he's able to travel back over to Japan. And Kim Kelly dropped the re-mention of Damien Priest on a commentary, saying that you know Damien Priest lost to Leo Rush in the top prospect tournament in Ring of Honor some years ago as a way to big up that Leo Rush has experience facing guys much larger and much stronger than him. But ultimately, Brody King came out on top. Lawler versus King, I, I know I said I predicted it, but I think because that's the best kind of match that we can get this brand new title, either guy would be a, a great first champion. I'm going for Lawler here. What are you thinking? What are you you're hoping for for this, uh, this finals of the New Japan Cup USA? I think Lawler will win it. My head says Lawler, but my heart wants Brody. Yeah, I think Lawler is like a heel. He's, been, he's kind of been a big feature since his debut on New Japan. Some of form this new version of Team Filthy. And he's got JR Kratos, uh, Daniel Limelight, and well, Kefir now, Chris Dickinson. So like, Dickinson didn't win here, but you've got the story you can tell now. If Lawler wins the title, the defension between him and Dickinson, and like eventually building up Dickinson as a challenger for Lawler, and I think it would be nice for, as good as some of the match star in New Japan Strong, they haven't had much yet in terms of actual building storylines. Yeah, the closest we've had to like storylines is a bit of like the kind of the Bullet Club invasion early on when like Kenta was there and Jay White came back into it, that sort of stuff. But we've not had an overall bigger story or a long running. And bringing the title into things should give an opportunity to build some stories going forwards. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, it's good for the guys and they should have something to really fight for uh, like, I remember they did the thing with Danny Limelight and, and Rocky Romero they tried to build that as a, a story of like Rocky being high on Danny but then Danny portrays him by joining like, like Team Filthy but you know I don't think they really built that long enough for that to be for Danny's like, heel turn to really be that shocking so I think they could have done a lot more with that uh, I, I think corrected or looked up, up there 13 minutes is the longest match so far in this tournament so I don't imagine uh, the final will be much longer than that, maybe 15 minutes is what you can maybe expect from this because I remember like that's like an original New Japan Cup USA, like 15 minutes was kind of the longest you could expect from these kind of shows because I know they're doing a lot of this taping in bulk so I don't think they want to go overly long on the matches if they've got a lot of shows to tape because God knows how long ago this 
the stuff was taped. Yeah, this this currently this whole thing of like New Japan AEW Impact working together at points and that and how they pre-record things makes it incredibly impossible to tell when things are actually recorded. It's like they just disappear into some sort of time warp. Yeah, so like, like yeah, Finn just won the uh, the tag titles in Impact, but haven't really been much of a feature on Impact. I think they were on one episode uh, so far. Like since but then I went back to Japan and they're going to come back obviously for rebellion against the good dwellers so i hope that i'm looking forward to that that's happening uh, this weekend uh binges v the the good brother we go back to japan now for sakura genesis that happened uh towards the start of april it feels like so long ago uh, what's funny about this is this is on like the 4th of april uh which is a sunday and then the very next week was wrestlemania week so like so much wrestling has happened since then it, it makes it seem like much longer ago than it actually was doesn't it yeah, it's like the the sure amount of wrestling I watched in that small period of time. I was like, am I getting close to being burned out? Have I experienced too much wrestling? Am I like Homer eating all the cheese at night? <laughs> I think I'm blind. But it's it is one of those things. It's one of those weeks that really makes you question: Do I actually like wrestling? Especially if you're a part of like a podcast like this, where you also have to talk about a lot of stuff that happened. Like I had those uh, those previews. Before night one and two and everything, and I've been talking about uh, on I say podcast about Tigo and wrestling. So like, I just I just want to sit down and watch the wrestling. So I'm glad I had some time between watching Sakura Genesis and I'm getting to talk about it here. But we're gonna go past the, the first couple of matches as they're kind of throwaway. The first opening match was the uh, Doki and Dangerous Techers defeating Jado and the Girls of Destiny, which is setting up some uh, potential for a rematch between the two teams. Uh, and some very interesting matchups coming forth. Uh, sadly, no Doki Choki in this particular match. And there's also a 10 man tag which saw the Chaos team of, of Okada, Yano, Goto, Ishii, Yoshihashi defeat Dick Togo, Ishimori, Takahashi, Kenta, and Evil after, uh, after Yano pinned Dick Togo after he put a blindfold on his head and rolled them up. Which is setting up uh, Evil versus Yano for the KOBW 2021 provisional trophy. And when we get to the third match of the, of the six match card, that's where things get interesting because it was the six man tag putting Naito, Sanada, and Shingo Takagi versus the Empire as they were teasing a brand new member. We had Great Okan, Chekhov, and no, no longer Toa Hanari, now known as Aaron Hanari. The ultimate weapon, I believe his nickname is. So, Anari with a complete character overhaul. And I believe you were saying about, at least there was a rumor, you, you thought that Hanari could have been the uh, the new member. Yeah, that, like, that was, I saw a lot of rumors pointing to Hanari, but Hanari was putting up the pictures like, oh, I'm in quarantine, quarantine food is rubbish, back home in New Zealand, it's not me. And then it came out. Um, uh, like Aaron Harari, and when I first heard it, I just thought of that sketch with like the substitute teacher going, "Where's Aaron at? Aaron?" <laughs> yeah, and it was it was a surprise because I was generally like, I remember I said Andrade, but I think that was just I know we quarantined and everything that probably wouldn't have worked, but it was the name that was on a lot of people's minds at the time. You know, it could have been Suji, but I think they pretty much definitively said when they. At Castle Attack, that it wasn't probably going to be him after he chose to keep on side with Tanahashi. So, Anari 
is a solid choice because, you know, Great Okan came back from experience and he's finally got a purpose in Japan. Jeff Cobb, you know, he's coming back and forth, but now he's a full-time guy. He's got a place in the group. So, definitely, it's given these guys a direction. You know, Hanari has been kind of just another guy, you know. You know, he's just teaming with, like, the established like, when he's teamed with Tanahashi back in the... Back in the... Back in the... Fucking hell, Scott. World Tag League. Back in... Yeah, fucking hell, I can't even speak. I'm <laughs> fucking <laughs> I'm keeping that in, I can't be asked. And... <laughs> So, and he also lost to the Empire when Jeff Cole was revealed. So maybe from there, you can see the seeds were maybe planted and Hanari started to reevaluate his uh, position in Japan. Because, you know, for years, they you know, Hanari's just that one step away from this, from like getting like his standout one, you know, his breakout moment here in Japan. But he always seems to be on the losing end. Like when he faced, when he faced Jay White in the New Japan Cup, nobody gave him a chance against Jay White. And there, I think now he's wanted people to take him more seriously. He's gone for the he's gone for the uh, Matthew Chono school of uh, dressing like a Matrix character when you turn heel. <laughs> yeah, the whole like sl- slick look with the, the new jacket and stuff like that. The ultimate weapon. I'm still fucking raging that's him and I'm still fucking raging though that he pins Sonada. Bastard. <laughs> it was very one sided actually and in favour of the Empire, and I think you'd expect that, obviously, given that LJ didn't know who the third man was going to be, and so obviously, where he's first, uh, as part of the group, he had to probably get the one for the same man look dominant, but yeah, it was a surprise that uh, he was he was the one pinning Sanada, and that has set up a match for towards the end of the Redland Ontaku right road to tour, but you know, it was a hell of a surprise to see Hinari, you know, big glasses it, uh, and you saw at the end of the night when they were all drinking, after, and Wells made like backstage comments, uh, they were all just, like down in a little bit of the drink where you see him, he's just properly down. Like, I've not had a drink in six months. He <laughs> <laughs> did look impressive. Uh, Streets of Rage was uh, the name of the move that he ended up using, kind of a variation of, it's kind of similar to like the Made in Japan uh, move that Single uses, kind of the pump handle and drive him down. They have a Death Valley driver, so they all move. But it was effective. And, you know, maybe this could mean big things for Hanari going forward, not as a heel. And they'll get, come back as this new character and being with Sanada. It's not a bad place for him. Yeah, I mean, that's silly. The setting up the sort of the singles match between him and Sanada, Okan setting up against Naito. They've, they've pretty much put them in a strong position for their future matches. And Hanari, this could be the... We've talked about before how the, the Empire kind of had a kind of faulty start at the beginning. This is now the momentum kicking in. This is mm-hmm. potential big things ahead for all men involved. Mm-hmm. And also, they've been bringing up that even though they had their their fallings like individually before, obviously Osprey went on that run in the New Japan Cup as a six man trio, as a trio, they've not lost yet. And I think they kept that streak going here. You know, they're still running where when they're as a unit, they are strong. Whereas they may not always get the win when they're on their own which is probably why they came together to group in the first place. But, you know, it's, it's onwards and upwards for this new faction. Like I said, a dominant win, and more surprising given that Shingo is still coming off a loss, and all three of these guys on LIJ seem like felt like they needed a win. But on the same time, they're going up against the group who is debuting a new member, so they kind of had to like take the fall on this one yet again. Uh, a match that's not really interesting for what happened in the match, but more what it set up. We had, we had Hiroshi Tanahashi teaming up with Kojima, taking on uh, Bad Luck Valley and Jay White. You know, obviously, 
Tino's on commentary, so he demands you salute, salute the general Bad Luck Valley for competing in the, the war of Japan or whatever. But obviously, Jay White wanted to face Tanahashi for the Never Open Weight title at this show, and I thought we were going to get it here as well, but Tanahashi basically said no. And it was during this match, Kojima and Tanahashi got the win in this match, but it was afterwards that Tanahashi got Jay White and uh, takes his cold relief, and Jay tapped out. And it was then that Tanahashi said, like, okay, I'll fight you. And maybe I'll call that move the JTO, J tap out, going back to when Jay White was using that uh, leg lock. That's the same one that he used to beat Tanahashi for the world set when he was calling it the TT or the Tanahashi tap out. So, kind of nice that they're like calling back on the history and they kind of use this show to set up like stuff to get. Stuff that was to come. I believe we're getting this match uh, at Dontaku. I it was it was kind of weird. Like, it, it kind of reversed. Normally in Japan, it's a case of you beat the champion in a non-title situation, like a tag. That's your stake to the to the throne. Instead, this time it was a champion, pretty much making the challenger submit outside of a match. And it's like, yeah, no, I, I think I can do this. Bring it on. But it's <laughs> it's got major stakes behind it. When you look at it, if Jay White wins this. He's the first quadruple crown champion. Yeah, it would be a hell of a, a first for, for Jay White. And obviously, he's been trying to claim that Tanahashi's know he's done. He's, he's flirting about how like his abs are better than Tanahashi's abs. Even though Tanahashi, his abs looks better than I ever probably will. And he's basically saying, like, no, I want to face new opponents for this title. But then, nearly Bad Luck Valley was there to take the fall. So Jay could look uh, strong. And then he's kind of using these history and kind of... They were mentioning during the New Japan Cup, like, is Tanahashi basically trying to look weak when he's actually stronger than Jay White would realise if he's trying to use his old tactics of, like, the art of war, you know, appear weak when you're strong, appear strong when you're weak. So maybe Tanahashi's lured Jay White into this kind of false confidence and they showed him after this, the, the angle after this match that, like, you know, I may be a bit older, but I'm still fucking Tanahashi. I'm still the ace. That's it. He's still got gas in the tank. Don't take him lightly. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and I look forward to finally getting that match. It would be very interesting for Jay to accomplish this uh, against Tanahashi getting this like quadruple crown because we remember he, his, first, his first big title opportunity was against Tanahashi for the IC title. He defeated him for the, the world title, and now he could get uh, his latest singles championship by beating Tanahashi for it. But when we get into the top two matches, that's when we've really got stuff to talk about for Sakura Genesis. Where in a semi-main event we had Sho and Yo taking on uh, Kanemaru and Desperado, uh, who are basically this technically their first defence, but they have these guys have a story history with Sho and Yo, where Sho and Yo kept losing to uh, these guys, but eventually they beat them in the 2019 uh, Super J Cup final, Super J Cup Tag League final, and then in the first defence after they won the tag titles back from Bullet Club, they defeated. Garamaro and Desperado, so it felt like they got that kind of off their back, but now they're coming back together. Yo's first match since his injury. Oh, we also forgot to mention that uh, Yujiro, uh, sorry, that uh, Hiromu came back randomly to join commentary, but he randomly came out buying stuff about and then just decided, oh, I'm going to run down the card for you. <laughs> yeah, one of, one of many appearances from Hiromu lately who has taken on multiple side jobs within the company uh, was announcing the card, uh, cleaning the ring. What else was he done the other day? Done an absolute. It's, it's, 
He's he's just having a blast right now. He was timekeeper the other night as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, obviously he's missed quite a bit of time already. And his last like big injury with the neck, so he doesn't want to miss any more time. And obviously he can still do commentary while his shoulder is recovering. So it's always nice to see him. It's keeping him in in our minds, because you know he'll be coming back after that junior heavyweight title when he returns. Uh, but I think you can expect why this match is going to go in terms of how it's going to be structured with uh, Yo's leg being the target of Desperado and Camaro's like offense. You know, you know Desperado having that dead light stretch muffler move to try and cause further damage. They were working it over on the outside. They're constantly trying to isolate him. Uh, then Show comes in, and they were talking about like, well, Show can like you know make a good effort, but does, is he going to have to go this alone? Is he going to risk tagging Yo back in? You know, with his leg being a, a target, as much a target as it is, but I think Show showed that uh, once again he's not missed a step since he came back. Even though this is technically his first match back, because the point out he wasn't even on any of the road to secure just shows his first proper match back was in this tag title match. Yeah, like it came out with the sort of the new look. The hair is no longer blonde. He's where he's got his hair dark now. They've got possibly the most awful jazz piano entrance music of all time now rather than the old <laughs> Rapongi 3K tune which I'm desperately missing Rocky Rero, for the love of God listen to this bring it back get them tell <laughs> but yeah like Yo did not miss a single step for a man that had been out for a year it was phenomenal like the fact that he like he just he, I was I was amazed with some of the stuff that he was doing and he's obviously got a new flashy finisher as well as you do when you come back after a year yeah, I, I missed the old theme song as well. I didn't like what the hell this was supposed to be. Uh, but maybe they're trying to... They don't want Rocky Romero singing the theme song. Maybe they, really, they're not going to be associated with Rocky going forward. Maybe they want to stand out in the room because they used to come out in matching gear, you know, whereas, whereas gold, yours would be silver and shows was gold and shows still got a bit of the gold on him, but you know, he's wearing trunks while uh, was wearing like long tights. So they're kind of establishing their own look, like they're establishing like like we're tag partners, we do a lot of similar, we wrestle a similar style, but you know, we're both unique in our own ways. And they hit all of their big moves, you know, they, they, they cradle pile driver with the assisted stomp, the 3K, like a uh, flapjack into the flatliner move. But yeah, the direct drive, I believe it's called kind of a, it seems a very similar to like the Death Rider, kind of an elevated uh, spin version of the Death Rider that he hits on, I believe it's Kanamaru, and sets up and the Rohongi TK won their what is it, fourth, maybe fifth at this rate uh, junior heavyweight championship because it always seems that the tag titles will find their way back to those guys. What's interesting is that it's setting up not only a rematch uh, between these two teams but uh, Karama, but Desperado is going to put the title on the line against uh, Yo. so I would have thought like you would have maybe pinned Desperado to get the title shot, or do you think maybe they want to keep him strong so they had Kamado take the fall? I know I was, I was actually, I was actually surprised by like the outcome of Yo getting the pin, Yo being the one that's going to get the single title shot as well because I've always felt Show has been the more breakout singles potential, which I felt they've to an extent they've failed to capitalise on during Yo's time out. Mm-hmm. But with Yo's performance in that match, I. Honestly, cannot say I'm surprised now that I've seen because it's it's probably the best I've seen you looking. I, w- I was I'll be honest, I've never the biggest Rapongi 3K fan. 
dug them, but I always felt like they got the titles too easy. But this match is one where they both looked on equal and In fact, you even looked a bit better than show during it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I said to you, like with all the attention that shows getting, we got that never open weight title match against Shingo. He got a hell of a show in, in the uh, best of Super Juniors. He came very close to getting to the, the finals. He got the first title shot against Hiromu after Hiromu got the title back. I was worried that Yo was going to be left at the side, but Yo is like at the ground running since he came back. And like I remember, like I said, like the titles seem to always find their way back to these guys. So going into it, I genuinely couldn't have called this because, you know, they could keep, you know, Despy 2 belts going a bit longer. But yeah, as the commentators said, the kind of the commentators kind of foreshadowed that it could go in a Profongi PK's way because they're like, you know, it's not often that a man has a tie title and a singles title at the same time, but the these don't usually last long. It's hard for a champion to divide his focus. I thought well, they could have either Show or Yo uh, pin, get the one over Desperado and set up a singles match, you know, kind of similar to what they were going for with when uh, Ishimori and ELP were going after Hiromu and especially when they're trying to set up a match for the tie and singles titles. But I, was, I actually thought Show would have, even though he's already got a shot this year, I actually thought Show was going to get one for his team, so maybe they're trying to remind people like Yo's got like a lot to bring to the table as well, and that's why he's getting the title shot. Yeah, I think they were. I think they like looked at what people would expect and kind of tried flipping it on its head. Like I, I honestly thought Suzuki Gun were going to retain. I thought you know this is Suzuki Gun's going to retain. Desperado's riding high momentum, but like you said. Japan doesn't quite often favour people having two belts at one time. It never lasts very long. Mm-hmm. Naito, I think he was even rare with, with him. I think Kushida was the last person in the junior division to hold a tag and a singles belt at the same time. And I just looked up there, yeah, five times now that makes it uh, for Rapongi 3K as tag team champions. And hopefully they have a decent run with it. I, I expect them to probably retain when they have that rematch against. PK, I don't quite expect Yo to really get the junior heavyweight title yet, but you know, maybe focus on the keep both of them in the tag division for now. Uh, I don't know when Desperado is going to come back. Maybe if we can get EOP and Ishimori versus Rohongi 3K again, because remember their match from Wrestle Kingdom 14 was held with a really good match. And I'll hopefully try to get back to you know building this division back up again, because it has been very lacking, as we've pointed out on several occasions. Yeah, now's the time to to get things back in place, and hopefully, hopefully this is a good sign for things to come. We have a we have a, another team back on to make things a little bit more mixed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it did seem very similar. It was kind of sad to see. Part of the reason it was sad to see Hiromu like injured again is that him and Bushi were another great great addition to the junior tie division, but that got taken away from us. Uh, but now we got Rapongi Suki back, so. Uh, hopefully the vision won't feel as kind of samey as it has been recently. But now we go to the main event for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, the first ever defense of the IWGP World Heavyweight title. The champion, Koyabushi, who uh, wore it over his shoulder, he didn't wear over his belt because he felt like he didn't wear over his waist because he didn't feel like he'd. I earned it. Yeah, he wanted to beat Will Ospreay and then he would wear it around his waist so he felt like he had earned it. He uh, got a lot of time, you know, we're hungry CK and Suzuki and went 20 minutes, whereas, whereas this went 30 minutes, which he expected for our world like two minutes, so it's 
because the two title matches got the most time. Uh, I don't think it was their best match. They have had better. I know this wasn't as spot heavy as some of their previous matches. That's not why I don't think it was good. I just I felt it was a wee bit too one sided at points in favour of Osprey. Like, and I would have I wouldn't find that if like the Empire were getting involved, but the Empire really didn't play much of a factor at all in this. Uh, they were like obviously there were callbacks to previous matches with the like Hurricane Ryan with Osprey landing on his feet and Ibushi turning around. Uh, the neck seemed to be a feature for both men, both guys trying to drop each other on the fucking necks. But uh, Osprey did uh, hit the Stormbreaker. I think he hits the Hidden Blade at one point here. And after 30 minutes, Will Osprey is the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. So he's technically the second ever champion because uh, Bushi was awarded first, even though in his first defense he lost it. Osprey is the second ever IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, the first British person to hold the top title in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And Grant can attest to this. I sent him a very angry uh, voice message on Facebook to say in the words, Well, fucking Osprey! <laughs> the uh, possibly uh, for, uh, I know that you didn't watch you didn't get a chance to watch the match live I watched it live and then watched Twitter absolutely fucking melt down over this match because oh my god I have never seen someone who if you go back just like a year and a half ago we all probably would have jumped over the moon with joy that he'd done it but after the events of last year and speaking out it was nothing but anger I saw across the Twitter sphere I, I, I've, I've seen some controversial reactions but this is probably the most like hot and not in a good way nuclear heat that I've seen for a victory in a long time oh, oh believe you me I mean I was rooting for a bishy I thought, like, yeah, he's, like, he's got this one soon, you make up, surely they're not going to the tail, and they wouldn't be that tone deaf. I mean, the attack at him hitting be pushed with a cutter after his New Japan Cup win was tone deaf enough. They wouldn't be that bad. You know, I love New Japan and everything, but come on to fuck guys. And, you know, I, I felt, honestly, like, when Zach Sabre Jr. had that rant in his backstage comments about fucking Boris Johnson, that's what I felt like watching this. I'm like, well, fucking ass is a world champion of a real country. A real company. <laughs> and like, again, as in, from an in-ring standpoint, like I said, it wasn't as good as their previous matches, but it was still a good match. But it just didn't, it just felt, something about this match really felt off to me. Maybe maybe I'm, maybe I'm struggling to put my thoughts about Wallace aside as maybe I've, you could tell of that because I've said, I've added the word fucking into his name uh, twice already. But you know, I've tried to like look at it from an in-ring standpoint and you know, it's set up some good stuff that's to come uh, for the world titles with who he's going to be defending it against. But you know, it just didn't feel like... It wasn't, it wasn't the best main event we've seen in recent history uh, in recent like, times. And I don't know what to say. Something about this match really felt off to me. Maybe because I felt like Abushi didn't get a fair shake. You know, he was the one who wanted to unify the the titles and then he loses it in his first defence as a world heavyweight title as a new championship. Like, it just boggles why the fuck he did it in the first place. Yeah, booking-wise, lots of questions. More questions than there is answers, really, at this point. In-ring-wise, 
I found this, while not their best match, I would definitely put it in amongst their top few. I think their Wrestle Kingdom encounter for the Openweight belt a while back, despite the injury that happened during it to Ibushi, was probably the best one they've had. But this match did not disappoint me in regards to the fucking flying knee that went on at one point. I'm pretty sure there was a decapitation in the middle of the ring. I was like, Jesus Christ. Hmm. Um, some of the callbacks bug me. Like the uh, the reverse Rana, where Osprey lands. This this was this where I, my Zack Sabre Jr. mindset comes into place. It's like, Ibushi, you've done it about seven times, and seven times he's landed on his feet. Get the fucking hint, son. <laughs> I know it's one of those. What the fuck did you think was going to happen? Because like, it's not just that it was a callback. That they've not just done it once before. They've done it a couple of times when they faced off. So it kind of feels like, oh, like you're really going back to this spot again. And yeah, that knee, that running knee that Osprey hits is vicious. Maybe I don't think they commented on it, but I think maybe that was maybe a reference to him using like a V trigger and given a busy relationship to Kenny Omega as part of the match. And like, it was fine that he used the hidden blade because you mentioned the Wrestle Kingdom match where Ibushi got injured. Uh, I think that was one of the first times we saw Osprey using the hidden blade, so it was fitting that he used it there. So there are elements there as an actual match, even though, like I said, it's not strongest that. Like make it worth watching, like you know, Abushi to talk all this talk, make out all the enemies that he made about unifying the titles. You know, he had hell of a match with he fit matches with G White, Sonada, Naito to get to this point. Uh, Desperado as well, can't forget that. And then he's unified it, and when he's finally has to prove that he can carry it as a world heavyweight title, he loses. Like it just makes me wonder what is. What are they going to do with the Bushy in a month following? Yeah, I think this is them trying to go ahead with the plans, which the rumour was the original plan for the New Japan Cup before all the travel bans, and that was Osprey was meant to win the New Japan Cup last year and be the one to take the double belts off Naito. They've got, they clearly decided to kind of reorganise plans, reshuffle, and then Gedo proceeded to do something, which again pisses me off. Yay, Shingo came out for the challenge for, for a shot at the belt. I love that. Love that. But why the fuck is Okada getting to headline the Tokyo Dome again when he's not fucking done anything to earn it? <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get it from that sense. But and, like, I, I'd heard that about Osprey, uh, that was a bit plan, and which I think makes it all the more obvious how, like, I, make, I think it makes Evil's title really all the more pointless because, like, yeah, there was a story there with him portraying LIG, and at the time he had a lot of heat. He had that match with the Roman, I thought it was really good, but by the time he lost it, you were kind of glad for it. And, like, you look at how evil's been portrayed since, you know, I'm not trying to downgrade the, the KOPW title, but if there was really big plans for, for evil, I don't think he'd be in these type of matches at this stage. You know, after after losing to Sonata, I think all his value is this new heel as part of the look club is, like, diminished. And so I think if Osprey had done it at the time, uh, I don't know if they were also planning for Osprey's heel turn to happen around that time as well. If, that, if so, that would have been very interesting. Uh, and also it would have happened before all this happened. So maybe, like you said, the reaction would have been different. But yeah, so Osprey calls out Okada because he wants to avenge the match at the Tokyo Dome they had, which, again, maybe, like I said at the time, we weren't sure why Okada won or why all of the Empire lost, but I think in the long term it's kind of that, you know, Kato likes to 
do those like long term stories where like when just when you think they're gonna win, they don't and then they're gonna win down the line. Like when we all thought Naito was gonna win in twenty uh, eighteen and then he won two years later, is uh, when he finally won the world title. So he calls out Okada before Okada can even say anything, Shingo comes out and goes, Hold on, yeah you beat me uh in the finals. But I beat him in the first round. So really I'm ahead of him in the order for a title shot, which valid. So he said, How about I beat how about me, you, uh, first and then the winner faces Okada and then they hand the the mic back to Okada and Okada just puts the microphone down basically saying like, Alright, you suck yourselves it, I'll see you in the Tokyo Dome And then so they make the match for Dontaku uh, night two. Uh Osprey versus Shingo for the world title. The winner goes on to wrestling Grand Slam at the Tokyo Dome and yeah, I, I think you said I said how weird it was that Okada wasn't main event either night at the Tokyo Dome at Wrestle Kingdom because they love to have Okada in uh, the Tokyo Dome main event. And I knew as soon as they announced the, the fact they were going back to Tokyo, I thought they're going to have Okada challenge whoever's the champion, aren't they? And sure enough, they can't help themselves when it's the Tokyo Dome, they have to have Okada in the main event. They just bloody have to do it every bloody time. Honestly, it pisses me off <laughs> so much. <laughs> But you know, yeah. for, for the sake for the sake of kayfabe, though, I'm just going to say yes, Okada. Yes, more Okada. Let's make Stephen Wilson watch all the Okada matches in the Tokyo Dome because we know how much Wilson loves Okada. What is even more frustrating that we know that Okada is going to face the winner of uh, Shingo versus Osprey is that it makes it even more sadder that you know Liam Shingo's going to take another loss to Osprey, isn't it? Because, like, yeah, I said how annoyed annoying it was for. Uh, basically go through all of this to then losing his first defence. So so you know they're not going to have the second ever, like the first two IWGP World Heavyweight Champions uh, losing their first defence. So Shingo is basically a stepping stone for Osprey Okada at Wrestle Grand Slam, which is kind of sad given all the work he's been doing over the last year and a half. I'm throwing it out there. Okada's not going to beat Osprey at the Dome. I reckon they're going to keep Osprey with the belt for at least three defences. Yeah, because uh, Wrestle Grand Slam is like towards the end of May, and then literally at the start of June, they immediately start the road to Dominion, which leaves on the 6th of June. And I believe Osprey beats Okada at Tokyo Dome, and at the end of the Grand Slam, Ibushi makes the challenge for Dominion, and we get Osprey, Ibushi to Electric Bigelow. Uh, at Dominion <laughs> whether or not Ibushi will get the belt back at Dominion I, I don't know but obviously Dominion has kind of been built by some Western fans to help, help you understand what Dominion is because uh, if Wrestle Kingdom is their Wrestlemania then Dominion is their SummerSlam uh, it's the best way to describe it so you, get, you know they're going to want a featured match for Dominion and I think Ibushi Osprey and a rematch is the way to go that's the match that I'd hope to see um if not that, they're going to throw some sort of curveball. We know what Dominion's like. Dominion's always the land of surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it, it depends what they want to do with the G1. If they want Osprey to go in as uh, the champion, if they're going to want to hold, have him hold the belt all the way to the all the way to Wrestle Kingdom, because if they have a if they win a barrier for the G1, it's kind of similar to Evil's title reign and that he held it kind of in the early part of the summer. Then right before the G1, he loses it. So I have a feeling that he'll either lose it at Dominion if he doesn't. He's holding it all the way to Wrestle Kingdom. But 
something that's quite interesting about Osprey is, well, something that's worth bringing up about Osprey's title reign is that shortly after winning the title, you know, celebrating you know, Empire held the night for them, they've got a new member and they've got the top title. And also, I know it's kind of a character thing, but you know, you have Osprey basically yelling at the officials to get Abushi out of his ring and basically saying them bye bye and saying like, also the fact that it was on Easter Sunday and well, Osprey said he killed God. I know, I was like, oh God, he's going to call himself the God Slayer or the God Killer or some pishy nickname like that that makes him sound like some 16-year-old edgelord. It's just... <laughs> I know. I do love Kevin Keeler's response. Well, well, pardon me if I don't appreciate your blasphemy on Easter Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> that was outstanding. The fact that like he just... Dis- like, Kevin Kelly called it perfect. <laughs> like a disappointed parent whose kids are adding up on church, like, how dare you? This is Easter Sunday. This is the Lord's Day. Behave yourself. Behave yourself, William. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got to laugh because this is, I think that last section has been more, a lot more negative than you'd expect from an East Meets West episode. But the fun things will, will return soon. But Osprey, shortly after winning the title, called out CM Punk. Really saying was saying about one punk to come back and want to challenge face him for the IWG World Heavyweight title. Uh, punk in an interview shortly after has commented that, you know, Osprey is somebody who interests him if he wants to come back to wrestling. He says he doesn't want to go back to WWE because he'd just be another guy. Whereas he wants to look at people outside of wrestling who he hasn't faced before, some matches matchups that would interest him and not just be about the the money. Uh, and over in the past he's talked about a match with Omega as well and he, said, he also said yeah, wait, see, let's see if he still has a title at the end of the summer then we'll then ask me again and I don't think it's going to happen I don't, know if I, I don't think I want it to happen but you know all through the summer even after Osprey and Okada at the Tokyo Dome you're going to have all these people online saying Osprey's going to win he's going to defend the title against fucking CM Punk I, I I don't think it's going to happen. I don't want it to happen. But I know one thing. One thing for certain. As much as I say I don't want it to happen, if I was watching it, and at the end of the Tokyo Dome, Osprey is standing there over a beat Nakada, if I suddenly hear cult of personality, I am involuntarily going to lose my shit, whether I like it or no. My body is just going to go. Wow. <laughs> I know. Like I wouldn't say I wouldn't pop eh, for a punk coming out and and accepting the challenge from Osprey. You know what I mean? A lot of people, like it's depend. You can say one thing about a match or not want to see something, but uh, your immediate reaction to it happening will tell a different story. You know, a lot of people will say that they don't like part timers coming back, but if like Austin came back, as soon as the glass shares, you lose your shit. Like as soon as like you don't want the Undertaker to come back for another match, but as soon as the gong hits, you lose your shit because it's the fucking Undertaker. And yeah, I don't. I don't think I would tune in. That would be a hell of a main event, a hell of a get for New Japan, and also. Punk would gain a lot of respect from people who may have went off him if he beats Osprey for the title. But I don't know. Like my interest in Punk coming back to wrestling has really diminished over the years because I liked him when he was around. I know our resident uh, Punk fan uh, Chris Murray might not enjoy hearing this, but uh, my interest in him coming back to wrestling has been really diminished. Like I remember when all like, when all in was happening, or like when the first couple of big AEW shows. We were saying, oh, this is the time for Punk to come back to wrestling. I'm like, are any of you even considering if he wants to come back? Because I don't think he does. And even then, it's probably best that he didn't because those shows didn't need him to come back. And even though he, like Punk said, he's had conversations with the Bucks and Tony Khan, 
Like, it's a case of, like, if the guy doesn't want to come back to wrestling, fucking leave him alone. <laughs> and also, his, his whole thing on backstage didn't impress me because, like, it was basically bunk shits on WWE booking. I could have done that. You don't need to pay me all this money to appear on a fucking Fox show. I'll point out when something's bad. Uh, it was basically what Punk was doing on Twitter before, but now he got to appear on a Fox show alongside fucking Booker T and Renee Young. And I definitely do think if Punk was in WWE now, he would be just another guy. Because, like, he was good. He's always been a good wrestler. But he was even better in 2012 when just, like, the likes of him and Brian were the only ones wrestling that particular style. But WWE's had so many indie guys come in that that style has become more normal. So, and also, I don't know if Punk's in the, still in the best shape as he's been. Because we've seen how he looked when he was, like, trimming down weight for his, like, his MMA fights. He looked unwell. Yeah, UFC like getting cut and things like that. That that is just no healthy looking at all. Like mm-hmm. it, it just like plus Punk's UFC was awful, just awful. Like the two Jillian Hall children arguing about who's the most <laughs> awful one. It was just awful. But you know, it's it's one of those things. It's not out of the realms of possibility. He's discussed it. He's mentioned that the reason he didn't join with the Bucks and Can is they did not offer him enough money. But he says himself that he asked for a stupid amount of money to come back. He's like, that to me as well showed his attitude to wrestling at the time. It's a case of if you want me, you need to pay through the nose for me. And it's a case of that's not someone you want out representing you. You want someone who, yes, he deserves big pay, but also you want someone who's passionate about it. If he, if, he, if he says that he's passionate about a match, if he says that he's 100% all invested again, I'll give it a shot. But I just don't see it happening. And like yourself, my my love for Punk has waned a lot over the years. Um, I like to look back on those, those fonder years when things were more simple, without lawsuits, <laughs> without podcasts. But those were those were years ago when I was but a young, non-jaded, non-bitter man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, I don't, because I think, like, I like the Pipe Bomb and I've met all the match with Cena at Money in the Bank 12, and obviously a lot of people do. Some people have it as one of their favourite matches of all time, and, you know, good on you. I think some people in the podcast have even put it down on the website as their favourite match of all time. But I remember at the time I was still fairly young. I'd only got back to wrestling a couple of years earlier, and I hadn't left because I was jaded or anything. I just wasn't watching. And I got back into I was still not, I wasn't jaded yet. I was still fairly young in 2011 when I was watching it. So I don't think the pipe bomb and everything had the same impact as me because you got all these people who said they weren't interested in the product and then Punk helped them get back into it with this whole worksheet thing with the pipe bomb. So, you know, I don't think I had the same appreciation as some other people who may be desperate to see him back. But, like, again, it's his choice if he wants to come back. I think he knew people were asking him if he was going to come to AEW, so he wanted basically just to fuck with Tory Khan, the Bucks, and say, oh, fuck it, let's, let's throw out this price and see if they're actually willing to pay me that. Because... I don't know even if they did offer him that price, then he would, they would come back and say, oh, I just wanted to see what you do. But if Osprey, as an opponent, actually interests him and it's something he's passionate about, a match he's, he's actually passionate about having, then maybe you'll come in. Because, like, if Tony Khan, the guy whose dad owns the Jacksonville Jaguars and Fulham SC, isn't able to pay the price he's asking for, I don't think New Japan can afford to pay whatever he's asking for if he is in it for the money. So I think it would be all about a punk uh, his passion for a match with Osprey and a passion to get back into wrestling outweighs his desire to get a payday, then you'll see him come back. If not, then I don't think it'll happen. And Punk's attitude, they met people constantly asking him about a WWE or wrestling return. 
I think that has really diminished his passion for wrestling. Uh, it's it's one of those, you know this conversation. It, it, I feel like this conversation happens every single year in wrestling. Is Punk coming back? Uh-huh. Is he coming back? I just let it rest, people. Give it a year. Give it a break. <laughs> maybe if you forget about it and stop thinking about it, maybe it'll actually happen. But you're so focused on it that the more it doesn't happen, the more you focus on it. Maybe it's getting to a point of unhealthiness with some wrestling fans. The amount of obsession about Punk coming back. And I think this whole thing of him commenting on the possibility of being Osprey is not going to help it over the next couple of months because like every time Osprey has a title defence now, people are going to be waiting for like as you say, for cult personality to hit. And to be fair, as I said, if it did hit, I would pop, but I'm not going to wait for it to happen. If it, happened, if it doesn't happen, I won't be utterly disappointed. But, you know, let's just see what Japan has to offer plan because I, don't, I think they already have a plan of where they want Osprey Settling to probably go. And I don't know if Gator would sacrifice that just to bring in Punk in for a one-off match. Aye, I, th- I think like, if they were wanting Punk in, then it would be a case of... It would have to be for more than one match, otherwise it just feels a bit counterproductive to New Japan style. Mm-hmm. I was not honestly expecting Grant on a podcast about Japanese to really be talking about a CM Punk return for as long as we have. So I think it's best we move on. <laughs> but we have... Shortly after Sugar Genesis, we were back hot on the road to the road to wrestling Dontaku tour, and Advocate Diffinana now, as you, you said, you have as well. You know, one of the main things each night is the main event being a kind of a four-on-four with a okay, with Naito, Bushi, Sanada, and Shingo versus all four members of the Empire. Uh, on the nineteenth uh, of April show, we had. Uh, three singles matches between the guys who'd be facing in the six-man tag title main event. The next night we had uh, Goto taking on uh, Taiji Ishimori. We had Yoshihashi versus Kenta in the battle over the staff. And kind of the match that was sadly just there by by way of, el- of process elimination, uh, Ishii versus Yujiro Takahashi, which then led to the match the next night for the titles where Chaos Trio were successful. I was kind of hoping that Kenta and that would uh, would win. Maybe but Kenta would still steal his staff. So he said, "You say you look, I've got your staff and your belt." <laughs> I mean, that's this this one was was surprisingly well built for the two teams, mm-hmm. um, especially the whole like Kenta stealing the bow staff, and then I, I I loved sort of like the actual match itself was good. Um, to me, though, the highlight was just like after after the match and. Yoshihashi took the staff back and it's like Kenta's going it's a staff ooh you're weird oh <laughs> sicko it's like Kenta you've just been doing this for the last two weeks and the match is there's actually like Bulk had the advantage going in because uh, Ishii had defeated uh, Takahashi going into it but the other two matches on the 19th went to Bullet Club with Ishii Mori being Koto and a big win for him, I think one of the biggest, I think his biggest singles win so far, I think, uh, against somebody like Koto and then Kenta getting the win over uh, Yoshihashi. And there were some really good near falls, you know, with uh, Ishimori getting some really close uh, roll ups on Goto before eventually falling to the uh, the GTR. And or, and you could see Ishii like holding Yujiro uh, Sobin getting into the ring. But also the fact that the staff came into play, you know, they're trying to use it as a weapon 
but eventually Yoshiashi got it back and he used it on Kenta. I also loved the moment where he used that to knock uh, Yujiro's pimp cane out of his hand and just sent it flying. <laughs> oh, it was outstanding. Like, it was... Like this this chaos team, I do believe it's they're now tied or they're one off being tied for like the most defences of the six of the six man belts and they've had some pretty solid matches so far. I mean they've overcome the best of Bullet Club. They've mm-hmm. overcome their own faction within Chaos. So I honestly think next up for them, I would love it to be Suzuki Gun. I'd love to see a wee Suzuki Gun trio trying to take th- 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 those six man belts off them. Well, we have uh, seen that also because, like you said, uh, I think the five defences, the current record, I think that went to uh, Team Viano, Taguchi and uh, Makabe when they were like waiting ages between defences just within the limit and they held them for over a year. And I believe uh, this team, they haven't been that long between defences. But yeah, this is the fourth successful defence. It's been nearly a year for them since they won on the Summer Struggle Tour and they've been, like you said, their own like chaos teammates. They beat a good team of Dangerous Tigers and Doki, which helps it a, a tie team title matchup, beat Jay White and G.O.D. and now this other Bullet Club uh, group. So they were on their way to being like one of the most successful six-man tie champs like ever. Uh, the road to like it's not been one of the most interesting road to uh, like tours that we've had, but on the 26th of April, one of the last nights, the last night, one of the last nights of this tour, we we're going to have. Uh, two big singles matches to close out the night with uh, Hanari facing off against Sonata and in the main event Naito versus Great Okan. These are pretty big matches just to, to put on a, a road to show, especially when uh, wrestling Satsumi no Kune, I probably butchered that, uh, is, is happening like two nights later. You'd think they would be on that show, but I think maybe they just want to draw eyes into the, the road to shows, which is probably the same reason the six man titles were defended on this tour. Aye, it was it was definitely it's definitely set up some big stuff and like it just feels like they just like they've hit us with an absolute barrage of events back to back coming up. I've looked at the schedule and we we don't have a lot of breathing room again. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'll uh, before we get back to like how busy the schedule is because we have a lot to kind of uh, talk about that's coming up. Uh where do you see these two single matches going? Because we know Sonata like, is one, probably going to want to avenge that loss in the sixth man to Hanari, but also Okan's already suffered a big loss to, to Naito, and the, uh, the Naito already lost to Great Okan in the New Japan Cup. So where do you see this going? Do you see this being a successful night for the Empire again to help further build them up, or do you think uh, LIG is going to get a measure of revenge? I reckon Sanada's going to take the loss to Hanari, but I think Naito's going to get a bit of revenge against Okan. That's my kind of inkling of belief. Mm. I hope that I'm wrong. I guess I see both members of the Empire coming out on top because you know they're kind of building this whole Empire v LAG thing through this tour, given that night two of Dontaku is going to be Chingo versus Osprey. So, you know, I could like, see, I definitely would bet on Naito, maybe. Of the two, but I think Sonata is going to take another loss here. But he can always get his win back maybe in the G1 against Tanari. But yeah, like very little reason because, like I said, the 26th, you have those two matches. Wrestling Satsuma no Kuni is on the 28th and 29th of April. And then the 30th and 1st of May, 30th of April and the 1st of May, 
you've got two more nights of Road to Dontaku and then actual Dontaku itself on the 3rd and 4th of May. So yeah, like fucking back to back to back, you know, and uh, interesting interesting day was going to be on the second night of Dontaku because that's May the 4th, International Star Wars Day, and that's when that new series, the first episode of that new series, The Bad Batch, drops. So it's going to have hell of a viewing on uh, that day. Wrestling and Star Wars, you kind of whack it. <laughs> Definitely can't complain of those. No, no. And some interesting matchups on uh, Satsuno, uh, Satsuma no Kuni, fucking hell, Scott, spit it out. Now, anybody who actually speaks Japanese that listens to this has probably switched off by now. But I think these, there's a couple of interesting matches on here that they didn't want to throw away on the road to, so they also couldn't fit on Dontaku. I've uh, been put on here because the semi made of uh, night one of this is a, a KOPW uh, title match. And KOPW 2021 position title match where we have Toriyama defending against Evil. And uh, we have a Yite. YTR blindfold match where I believe there are like blindfolds on each of the corners or something like that. Uh, evil suggestion was a, a darkness match, which I don't know what the hell that would even be. But you have to turn the lights off to win. But it, I said to you before we were recording, we were talking about the this match. If I was Yano's opponent, I wouldn't even bother like suggesting a match. I'd just say, fuck it, whatever he wants. That was pretty much um, it. Was a, it was a creation of darkness blindfold match. Uh, four blindfolds in the four corners. A blindfold has to be on your opponent to uh, re- render a decision. Evil's one was going to be periodic lights on, lights off, which just makes me remember. Was it The Simpsons with the whole fight, 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 fight? fight, fight the light fight. going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dick over there, the light switch going. I want to see you fighting for your, for my approval. Fight, 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 fight. <laughs> And then uh, in the main event of night one, a rematch of the junior heavyweight title match, uh, pitting Rapongi 3K against the former champion Suzuki Gun. Uh, I think we talked about it already, but I think it's probably going to go uh, Rapongi 3K's way again, with probably Kanemaru taking a pinfall yet again uh, in order to further build to Yo versus Kanemaru that's happening at, so Yo versus Desperado that's happening at uh, Dontaku. Yeah, I reckon it's going to be like. Poor Kanemaru. Poor guy just kind of catch a break with eating the pins for his team these days, but to me it's a sensible decision so that Ed Desperado comes in looking strong as possible. Uh-huh. Yeah, he doesn't take the pins, but obviously, yeah, I imagine you will get the win for his team here so it still looks, it makes him look credible and looking like a threat coming in against uh, the junior heavyweight champion. And what's we- it's weird that what they're offering us in terms of like main events because they've got two big tag titles, got two big tag matches on night two, but nothing's really on the line for them. It's just furthering kind of the, the stories going into uh, Dontaku because, like, you got Naito and Shingo against Great Okan and Will Osprey uh, in the semi main event, uh, which I'd ex- expect that to be the main event, but randomly the main event is uh, Hiroshi Tanashi and Kota Ibushi versus Hanare and Jeff. Uh, Jeff Cobb, which you mentioned, uh, did like deliver an extra uh, tour of the island to. Ibushi after he lost to Osprey, so he was thinking maybe at Grand Slam Ibushi to help get his win back and like build to get him get his rematch. Uh, he gets a, a singles win over Jeff Cobb at some point. I could see that being on the cards then, um, perhaps for the Yokohama Stadium wrestling mm-hmm. Grand Stampede, because they've not really announced much for the Yokohama Stadium one. They've kind of announced one match for the Dome, but mm-hmm. I think I think we're not going to get a lot more details until we get to the end of Don Taku. 
because I think there's roughly about 11 days between Dontaku finishing and the stadium event. Yeah, it, it's, it's weird because like, I, I like I said, after Dontaku is done, well, yeah, it's like a bunch of announcements about to fill out the card for Grand Slam and for Tokyo Dome with that little time in between. I wonder what's going to main event uh, the Yokohama Stadium one because obviously they've already they're saving the world title for the Tokyo Dome. I don't know if uh, Ibushi versus Jeff Cobb in a singles match, just like with nothing on the line, would be big enough to main event. Uh, maybe this is like like uh, Hiromu is wanting the Junior Heavyweight title to take a bigger like be a bigger like like feature on the show. Maybe the Junior Heavyweight title gets the chance to main event a big stadium show. You never know. That's it. There's a lot of opportunities, and I, I do believe it's a good thing that if they're not going to put the main belt on the main event for Yokohama Stadium, we no longer have the IC belt. Either get Moxley over for him and Nagata, or have the juniors he- headline it. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Dontaku itself, to quickly preview. Uh, the top, we've got six matches on night one's card, but the top, the last three matches are the ones you really need to talk about. What we're doing was just a straight-up singles match now has a stipulation added to it. We've got Zack Sabre Jr. v. Tangaloa in a straight-up uh, in a singles match where Zack Sabre Jr. needs to win uh, this match in order for Danger Tiger to get another shot at the, at the IWGP tie team titles. But then in the following match, we have Taichi and Tamatonga fighting for something much more important as a ladder match for the Iron Fingers. And... This is probably like the second ever like ladder match in New Japan after Elgin v Omega, and that was for Derek and Elsie. But clearly, this is much more important. This is for the Iron Glove. God, uh, the Iron Fingers, like this, the so the biggest source of possibly one of the angriest matches other than the Osprey result in the last year for New Japan, and they <laughs> thought it was a great idea to put them above a ladder. It, it's definitely a sign that a sign that Gado is definitely trying to mix things up a little bit. He is just going about it the wrong way, I think. <laughs> Clearly, that uh, I, 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 DQ, like, DQ result, that annoyed me at the time. But after the Osprey sign, that's a fucking day in the park. I'd take another DQ uh, after that. But it's very interesting what's going to happen. You know, uh, I definitely think we're going to get the rematch here. But I wonder if uh, Tamatonga wins the ladder match, hold on to the tag, hold on to the iron gloves. But maybe Dangerous Tigers will get the Iron Gloves back when they eventually get their tag team title opportunity. So, you know, a whole lot of shenanigans could be at play here. But the main event of Wrestling Dantaku Night 1 is the match we talked about before. Jay White versus uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi for the Never Open Weight title. If the Junior Heavyweight title doesn't mean event, I could see actually being the Never title because that's really taking a, a leap in prominence. You know, the main event is one night of New Beginning. The main event a night of Dantaku. And if Jay White wins it, which I think he will, it's really going to help elevate that title. So I could easily see a Jay White title defence main event in Yokohama Stadium. Which I would not be opposed to at all. Please do that, Gado. Listen to me. Do what the people want. By people, I mean me. <laughs> and me. I want that as well. I think there are quite a few people who would like to see Jay White win that title. I mean, you know, I know it would be kind of weird for Tanahashi to like win they only defend against like Okan before then losing it to Jay White, but you know, he's still this is still a story here. You know, with Jay White thinking that Hanashi's passed it. There's always room for a rematch. Maybe the rematch can be an event. Okan Stadium, but you know, I just like to see Jay White. You know, he's always good when he's got something to brag about. When he always brags about, you know, 
being the man who single-handedly sold out Madison Square Garden, you know, I want him to be able to just constantly remind us, I am the only, you know, quadruple crown winner in New Japan Pro Wrestling history and keep reminding us and reminding us of it because that's when Jay White's at his best. Definitely. Got to love Jay White at his best. Breathe with the switchblade. <laughs> and we also have, and on night two, we have uh, in the, we have the two top matches they're talking about, but that's why I see on the undercard, it looks actually pretty strong because uh, the second match on the card is going to be a weird mix of juniors and heavyweights where we've got Sho and Okada v Kanemaru and Suzuki, which I think will be quite exciting. And uh, Cobb, Hanari and Kurokan v Sanada, Naito and Bushi. So I think that could be a great like, undercard match. Uh, Okada, I think, will be mainly in tag matches in it to the Tokyo Dome because I think he's still maybe getting over an injury. So, you know, they want to keep him as healthy as they can going into the Tokyo Dome, which is why they're probably having uh, Suzuki, probably, having, probably why they're having Shingo versus Osprey first. And that will mean event night too, but in the semi main event, we've got Desperado versus Yo. I think these will be two excellent matches, but both of the matches will see the champions probably walk out with their titles. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's where I see them going. Mm-hmm. But I'm really looking forward to it. You know, uh, I'm hoping like it was a good match, uh, the New Japan Cup final, but like you said, it wasn't. Uh, it was, it's hard for them to top like, previous ends, but I think this won't be as good as their best Super Juniors match because it's very hard for anything to be. I think it will definitely be better than their most recent encounter back at the New Japan Cup. But I think... We're going to try and have a show uh, shortly after night two of uh, of Dantaku because well, I've had a lot to talk about, you know, with the uh, uh, Tatsumo Kuni and both nights of Dantaku and then the finals of New Japan Cup USA. That'll be a lot to cover, and then maybe at the uh, the end of we're going to try and fit a show. Maybe we try and fit a show in between Grand Slam and Tokyo Dome and Dominion because. Yeah, like you said, we've got really little, very little breathing room because, you know, you've got Dominion on the 6th of June and, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I was just looking on the schedule and then after, after the 6th of June, on the 14th of fucking June, Kasuna Road starts. I don't even know what the fuck that is. <laughs> we've had Kasuna Road before. I remember that. Yeah, the 14th of June up until the 2nd of July. Like, what even is that? I, I'm assuming... They're going to push the uh, G1 back to the to the fall again, uh, if, given that Tokyo wants to like have those have the Olympics that they couldn't have last year. So maybe this is just to fill in time, so maybe we'll have some wiggle room there. But for fuck's sake, I mean, the 14th of June after the big dimension on the 6th, give us a fucking break. You know, I can't, I'm tired just like keeping up with all, watching it and talking about it. I can't imagine how the wrestlers are feeling. God, everyone must be like, at least some of them are getting a wee bit of rest. Jay White and Okada, part-timers in there. <laughs> uh, I know, Jay White can get away with it. He's the heel, you know, and Okada's clearly hurt, which then makes you think, like, why the fuck are you putting him in a, a Tokyo Dome event if, he's pro- if, he, if you're not sure if he's going to be 100% going into it? But, you know, I still think Okada versus Osprey, it makes sense why that's the main event in the, the Dome. And we are going to try and cover everything we can, we're going to try and cover everything from Dantaku and uh, Kuni uh, uh, sometime in the start of May and then hopefully shortly after Dantaku it'll be one of those days where you look online and see here's a bunch of matches that have been announced and you know 
one thing, one downside. I hope for uh, can for both nights of Grand Slam, there's not as much filler on the undercard because, like, you remember when they did the Summer Struggle League final in the uh, Jingu Stadium, there was like very little filler. There was you know a singles match, a four way, and then just all title matches. I hope we get something similar to that for both nights of Grand Slam. Aye, I think if they can, if they can keep, it's one advantage of the COVID era has been that less filler because they have to make the cards more direct and to the point. Uh-huh. Yeah, I would, I would never want to tell Guido or anyone new Japan how to book their shows, but you know, the, the whole adage of you know, less being more definitely applies to some of their shows, especially the bigger ones, and it makes them a lot easier to watch and you know, we're doing for an excellent podcast such as this. But that is everything that's been going on and everything that is going to come up uh, in future episodes uh, covered I knew we had a lot, but it's finally good to get to talk about it. And, you know, as busy as it will be, it's still a very exciting couple of months ahead for us. And Yeah, we are, like, there's no letting down. The schedule is currently packed right up to the start of July, and we're not even into May yet. So exciting times ahead, and we don't even... And I mean, they're putting all this schedule ahead for Japan. We still have no idea what's going to come up. And and the American side of things, they're gonna. I get the feeling there's going to be some surprises there. Yeah, because I don't think we're any closer to fans being able to come to US shows. But the plans will look a lot more clear now that we have a title. But D1 looks like it's probably going to happen in the fall again if Cena Road is happening in July, and that maybe that means that they're going to merge Best Super Juniors and World Tag League together again, which I wouldn't be entirely against and might go without Super J Tag League but if you haven't got the teams for it right now I'm not really like missing that wait till you've got like a fuller roster for that that's it there's lots of possibilities and it will be interesting to see where it goes next mm-hmm. and we'll also be keeping on top of it all, all of it right here on East Meets West here on East Lake Super H Retreat if you want to follow along with us today Follow us on social media at Super HVG on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to keep up with what we're up to and what all the other podcasts we've got are up to. We've got Saturday Draft Live. I'm not a part of it for now, but uh, my other my co-hosts uh, Jack and Dave are, have been reunited with. But my usual co-hosts Jack Graham and David Hockney are being joined by former uh, host of Saturday Draft Live, David Campbell, uh, for, for the foreseeable future. I don't know when I'm going to come back, but you know, I'm enjoying you know, just picking a team and not having to analyse it every week. You just sit back and let's see if the points roll in or not. But, you know, I got Kyle O'Reilly. I forgot I had him the other day until he, he won on NXT, so cheers for that, Kyle. Uh, we also got it's our feature. We had a show about Dark Side of the Ring just come up. We've got a show about imports and Scottish wrestling uh, to come, and a lot of other stuff. Well, some anniversary uh, reviews like we've got. I'll look back at King of the Right in 1996 uh, next month or so, uh, looking back at 25 years since the famous Austin 316 promo. And a lot more come. ESSR Central covers everything that goes on in the world of wrestling, the weekly TV, a lot of the big news and rumours. So maybe they'll be talking about this, uh, this punk thing with Osprey if that happens. And we also got our YouTube channel with sweet shows such as a quiz showdown, a new episode should be coming up I think today, if you're, this is going out on Sunday when planned, a new episode should be coming out today, quiz showdown 10 paper, snow, a ghost where you know, champ, true champion Ross defends his title in a weird 
pop culture, not wrestling quiz devised by uh, evil genius Sarah Grieve. And it's also great shows like Book It and Conspiracy uh, Theories, you know, shouldn't Book It, see if uh, the Daniel Bryan the equation, Grant McRobbie will uh, face off against our Roman Reigns, uh, our Roman Reigns and uh, Demon Wilson. And while the edge of the situation, either Ross or Strat, depending on their number one contenders match coming up, sits and gets very angry about it. <laughs> yep, I'm going to insert myself into that title picture just to completely screw things up. Stephen Wilson, if you know it's good for you, take a dive. And then we can worry about the other McLeod. He'll be no bother for us. <laughs> you know, you're just coming in like shingles, like, hold on, hold on, I'm, I'm first, I'm getting a title shot first. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we got a lot going on here at Easily Silver Treats. So make sure, like I said, to follow us on, on social media for it. Subscribe to us on all good Android podcasting sites, whether it be Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast, leave us all you like, rating, or reviewing your platform of choice. Or you can also join our Facebook community page where you can interact with us, you know, chat about all sorts of stuff going on in wrestling. And, you know, we can also give us feedback and join in in the comments for uh, our upcoming feature shows. And that's pretty much everything we have to plug. It's almost as long as a big schedule that New Japan's got to come. But until next time when we've got Duntaku and all sorts of other madness to talk about, from my co-host, Grant McRobbie, I've been Scott McLeod, and we'll say Goodbye, everybody.